Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and I am obsessed with teaching you how to become a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Just give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you simple easily implementable strategies on how you can become a more productive you. Get on the seven-day productivity challenge by going to my website, mrproductivity.com, Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R, Mr. Productivity.com. Today on the show, Jared Hanning, we'll be talking about the mindset side of growth. Now, a little warning for you here. There is so much information here. If you listen to this podcast on any up any speed other than one X, you might want to slow it down. Get yourself a notebook and a pen because there is tons of gold here. So let's get right to it. Jared, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too because we are going to be talking about something very, very interesting. We talk about mindset. I'm sorry. Yeah. The mindset side of growth. So this is, I'm really stoked about this episode. You did send me this really cool image, which we can't show you on the audio podcast, but I know you'll overcome that obstacle there. But before we get started, take about 20 seconds or so. Tell the people who you are and what you do. So I work as a performance coach. I use a Nobel nominated process, teaches people how to think at a higher level. And as a result of that, most of them double their income by working half as many hours. Now, you just perked up a lot of pre- people's ears. They're like, what, what, what did it? Hang on, let me rewind this podcast. What did he just say? So just <laughs> stick with us here. Um, it's it's not a magic pill. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to do some thinking. So I apologize ahead of time that you're going to have to uh, you know do some thinking. Perhaps you have to roll down the window in your car if it gets smoky in there because we don't want you to crash your car. So the mindset side of growth. Tell us how you got into this. So I'm a classically trained musician by trade, uh, spent 20 years as a full-time musician, would love to talk stories there because I think there's really interesting applications for most entrepreneurs and business owners or even solopreneurs, really. Um, I was principal violist for the South Carolina Philharmonic for 10 years. Uh, very obviously rewarding, fun, exciting, uh, but life calls you to something else and <laughs> it's time to uh, not rest on your laurels. So um, that from there, I went into speaking, and then there I went into corporate, corporate training. Um, and then along that road, here I am training people how to access different parts of their brain on demand and teaching the musical secrets of leadership, musical secrets of productivity. And a guy came up to me, and he was like, hey, have you ever tried the mind scan? I, I had never heard of it at that time. Um, and this was a, a Nobel-nominated um, process that uh, Robert Hartman came up with in the 50s. So I tried that out. And just the way it maps out your thinking patterns, your blind spots, your breakthroughs was so elegant that it was, uh, it was kind of the missing piece. And it allowed me to connect the work that I was doing already, training people to access more of their brain on demand um, with their experience of that so that they could see the changes and see the opportunities. Um, so speaking just kind of morphed into uh, coaching, which I do now. 
Now, let's go back to the classically trained musician. Now, I'm 54 years young, and I remember when I was growing up, I'm like, oh, classical music's for old people. I'm not going to listen to that. But you know, I got a playlist on my Apple Music. It's called Writing Music. And most of the music on there is the instrumental from the instrumental music from the silver screens. They used to call it the silver screens. I don't think they call it anymore. You know, the movies. And mm-hmm. probably my favorite um, album I've ever listened to is the... Uh, the soundtrack to the movie Hannibal. I, I just love that kind of music. So I really have come to appreciate classical music. So what instrument did you play or what instruments did you play? I started on the piano. I was about nine years old, I believe. Um, I didn't know how much I hated the piano until <laughs> I discovered the viola. Um, you know, it's just one of those things, right? You don't know how wonderful it can be. Uh, so I was like, well, maybe this is just as good as it gets. Um, I, then I discovered the viola in the sixth grade and just fell in love with strings right away. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't not play. It was a, it was a mental illness at that point. Couldn't put it down. Uh, went on to make my living on it. And, um, along the way, of course, you know, picked up violin cause nobody wants to hear a viola player. So if I wanted to get paid, I had to <laughs> learn a new instrument. So me, you know, I picked up violin and then of course the guitar and ukulele and mandolin and all the stuff that you learn when you're teaching music lessons. Um, but in that process, one of the things that I, I noticed was that um, it's it's rarely that uh, a kid, um, and this applies to sports as well, um, that the, the the kid isn't interested in the thing. It's, it's it's extremely rare that that's the case. Usually, it's not the right um, instrument for them. It's not the right teacher for them, or it's not the right type of music for them. Um, so it, it might not be uh, classical piano lessons. It could be jazz, trumpet, or you know something. But when you get all three of those lined up, because when I was in music, I would have kids and their parents would apologize. We're sorry they're not practicing. And the kids are like crying in their lesson. It's this misery. And then one day the kid would be at their friend's house who happened to have a guitar and they just couldn't put it down. And next thing you know, it's like, their parents are mad because it's three o'clock in the morning and they won't quit practicing. And now they've got a full scholarship to Berkeley. And like when it clicks, when it's the right of those three ingredients, you can't turn it off. And the same goes for sports, right? Is it the right sport? If it is the right sport, is it the right discipline within that sport? If that is the case, is it the right coach? You know, when they all three line up, man, kid catches on fire. Mm. Now, for those of us who are not familiar with classical instruments, what in the world? I'm asking for me. I'll be honest. What is a viola? I know what a violin viola. is. Yes, viola is the uh, redheaded stepchild of the orchestra. <laughs> okay. Um, now, we do tell a lot of jokes about the different instruments, and when you play the instrument, you kind of deserve it because you're like, yeah, that's sort of true. Um, but the viola is similar to a violin. It's a little bit bigger. Um, the, the four strings are the same four strings that a cello has, only they're tuned uh, the octave a pitch higher. Um, the viola... Because of its middle child nature, it's not really good for melodies. Uh, it's not going to carry over the rest of the group. It's not really good for bass lines. It's not going to you know, shake your eardrums. But it's incredibly good for that final texture, that final touch. Um, so when, if, if you are ever on YouTube and you plug in your favorite song as a string trio, and then plug in your favorite song as a string quartet, that's the difference the viola makes. Mm. Very interesting. Well, I I like violins, I, and I may be 
we'll talk about growth mindset in a little bit, folks. So just hang on. We're going to get there. Trust me. I'm just fascinated by this. Uh, Charlie Daniels band had a song called the devil went down to Georgia many years ago. I think back in the seventies. And I, I love that really fast paced violin. I'm just amazed when people can play the violin at that speed. Obviously that's not classical music. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the people that can play that kind of music is absolutely incredible for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny. Uh, if you ever listen to the Charlie Daniels piece again, devil went down to Georgia. Um, ask yourself, who was the better fiddle player? Um, ah, the great debate. Piece, in that piece, if you listen to the types of licks that uh, Charlie plays or uh, whoever the boy is that he's having a fiddle contest with, and, and you listen to the types of licks that the devil plays, air quotes, in that tune, um, some people feel that the devil played a better fiddle that day. Hmm. Now everyone listening to the show is gonna like, okay, I have to go find that <laughs> find it on Apple Podcasts. I mean sorry, Apple Music or Spotify and listen to it and, and really so you got me curious now. So I'm gonna have to go back and realist. I haven't heard that song in ages. It just it just popped in my head because I think a couple years ago I used to watch America's Got Talent and there was this fiddle player on there and the guy like he played so aggressively, he was breaking strings and stuff like that, but he mm-hmm. sounded awesome. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, I, I'd have to go, go watch it, okay. but there are a lot of amazing fiddle players out there. Fiddle. Okay. So is fiddle and violin the same thing or are they in the same family, but not a different instrument? Same, uh, same hardware. Um, the joke is the difference between a violin and a fiddle is that a violin has strings on it, but a fiddle has strings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I promise you folks, we won't talk about music the entire episode, although I think we both could. So let's get into mindset side of growth because you do have a lot to talk about how the lessons you learned, the struggles and the triumphs from classical music to teaching leaders and small business owners how to make a bigger difference by working less. I'm sure a lot of people love those words. So talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, when people first hear that, it sounds like snake oil, um, but uh, this is a quote, and it's certainly worth writing down, putting up on your wall. The less you work, the more you make. Uh, you want to be solving problems from the mindset of how can this still get done without my time or without my talent or without my effort? How else could this be done? Um, and just start to think in a different way. Uh, but if you imagine being in a um, corn maze, uh, when you get to the end of the row, uh, sometimes you're not sure if you should go left or right. Um, and this is what business is like many times. We're not sure if we should hire this person or fire that person or do this item on our list or that item or whatever it is. And that's like the corn maze, right? You can do this one, but maybe it's a dead end. Now you got to double back or it just leads to a bunch of mess. But going back to the corn maze, if you were to stand on a ladder well, now you can see the whole maze. Now it's perfectly clear. There's no mystery to what you need to be doing next. Now that's, duh. Well, of course there is. Um, Here's what's weird about that scenario. It was the difference of three feet. Simply moving your vantage point three feet went from, I'm not sure what's going to make the biggest difference to, oh, well, of course, that's the answer. Duh. (laughs) That was it. So imagine being in your business if we were able to elevate your thinking about solving those problems, only three feet. 
it goes from, gosh, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm not sure if this is going to work. I sure hope it does to, well, of course, everybody knows that you have that insight that you didn't have earlier. And that's, that's the work I do is training people how to think at a higher level so they can solve those problems. Now, I want people to not miss a very important two words you just said, solving problems. Notice how we didn't say complain, whine, go to the pub. <laughs> you know, he said solving problems. And I think a lot of people, Jared, are, are, are sitting here going, well, you know, right now we're going through this coronavirus. We're going through, uh, you know, economic problems in this country and complaining to my knowledge has never solved anything. <laughs> oh my gosh yes solving problems if you want to upgrade your life upgrade your problems because your con- your success is contingent on your willingness to have uncomfortable conversations complaining if, if, if you haven't done this it's certainly worth doing it there's a book that came out oh gosh i don't know 15 20 years ago maybe 25 years ago And the title of the book is A Complaint-Free World. In the book, uh, it gives you the opportunity to take on a challenge for your life, which is 21 days straight without gossiping, complaining, or criticizing. (laughs) That exercise is so difficult, it takes most people six months to complete it. Six months before they can get 21 days consecutive. Very, very difficult to do. But once you've done it, oh my word, it opens up a new world of possibility in your life. I don't think most people can go 21 seconds without complaining about something, let alone 21 days. Let's start with 21 seconds, and then we'll do 21 (laughs) minutes, and then we'll do 21 hours, and then we'll do 21 days. How's that sound? There we go. There we go. (laughs) Let's work up to it. Baby steps. I heard uh, Grant Cardone say a number of months ago that a lot of people complain about taxes. He says, you should want to get a hefty tax bill because if you're getting a heavy tax bill, it means you're making a lot of money and you're probably, if you're doing it right, helping a lot of people solving problems. So you shouldn't complain about the tax man. We all should pay taxes. And I want to bold highlight and surround that word all. We all should pay taxes in this country. Hate me if you want, but I believe if you're here, you should pay taxes, but that's not what this, the, uh, the show is all about. But if you're paying more taxes, you're making more money, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. It's a reflection of your capacity to earn. Uh, some people view debt the same way. Um, there was a story that came out of a Tony Robinson runner back in the day where this guy, was his world was crumbling around him, and he was just just in, in the gutter over how miserable and stuck and his life had crashed and Tony's pulling the details out of him. And it came down to um, the guy had like 200,000 in debt or something like that. And it was the end of the world for him. And uh, through a through a series of questions, uh, Tony Robbins helped him to see that the, his, his metric of 200,000 in debt was just a reflection of his capacity to earn um, the skills, the business, the acumen that he was involved in. Like clearly he had the power to earn on the other side of that coin, 200000 in income. Otherwise, the creditors wouldn't have entrusted him to start with. And when the guy began thinking, oh, wait a minute, this is really just a shadow of my resourcefulness. That's what it is. It helped him to, you know, Get out of the gutter and get back to producing. 
Tony Robbins often says it's not a question of resources. It's a question of resourcefulness, what you just said. And so you can look at the situation and say, oh, I'm behind on my mortgage or my rent or my car payment or, you know, I'm not making enough commissions this month. And you can sit there and go, man, this sucks. You know, life is horrible. Or you can say, okay, what can I do without relying on someone else? What can I do? And the question, serving other people that will generate an income. And I think if you stop for a second, because if you're out of money, you're probably not going to you know, lose your life in an hour. So take a step back, get off of social media and just sit there and maybe get a notebook out and a pen to go, okay, let me list all the things I can do right now to generate an income. And you may be surprised, $10 here, $50 there, $100 there. But a lot of people, they just want that big hit, that big job, that big client. Well, you got to work your way to it. You need money today. What do you have in your house that you can sell? Maybe you have an old microwave that you can sell for 20 bucks, or an old stereo or an old refrigerator, whatever the case may be. There's always solutions. There's always resources if you're willing to open your mind and open your, I guess, your your consciousness to look for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll dive into some more of that. Yeah. Well, let's this, do that right now. Talk. No, no, no uh, time like the present. Um, quick story about what you talked about. Um, there's probably another way. There's probably a third option. Maybe you haven't tried it. Maybe you haven't thought of it. When I was in music and before you listeners tune out on me, uh, what I'm about to say applies whether you are a barista, whether you're a laundromat owner, whether you are a lawyer. Hear me out. These three things will help you triple your income and cut your labor in half. And you can do this in any industry. So I was teaching music lessons. Uh, if you don't have anybody in your life that works as a freelance musician, um, they're called starving artists for a reason. Uh, in our modern society, we can get music and entertainment for free. Why in the world would we pay for it? Uh, so it's very easy for a musician to get themselves in a situation where they're working 40, 50 hours a week and they're taking home 20,000 or less. Um, it's just the nature of the economy or the market for that. Um, yeah, sure. There are some superstars out there. Um, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, um, who are doing worldwide tours and making 10 million a year. But by and large, it's, it's a starving artist lifestyle. That's why many of the musicians to make ends meet will teach at a university or teach at the public schools. Anyway, so there I was, and I was tired of doing something that I loved, but not having um, the money. At the end of the day, you still got to pay the bills. And I, I was just, I was frustrated. So I left that and I went into uh, construction and um, I was frustrated there. So I came back to music and then I left that. And then I went into real estate and I was frustrated there. So I went back to music. Eventually I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe it's not music. Maybe it's me. So I began to rethink um, the way I was solving problems, the way I was interfacing with parents and students and the market. And I made these three changes. The first change, regardless of your industry, um, there are things that you know that other people can benefit from so how can we get your knowledge in their hands without your time? What I was doing was charging parents by the hour to teach their kids one-on-one. -on -one. Well, I'm stuck because if I want to make more money, I've got to teach more lessons. I've got to use more time and there's a very hard limit on that. So I took my time out of the equation. How else can they be solved without my time? Well, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can do video 
uh, tutorials. You can do YouTube. You can write PDFs that people can download. You can have live workshops. Um, you could do group lessons where people, you know, come to you like a seminar or something like that. You could do it like the doctor does. When you go see the doctor's office, he doesn't spend an hour with you. He puts 10 of you in a hallway and he spends about five minutes with each of you. Um, so that's what I began to do with my lessons is I would put, I would t- charge the parents for the results that I was getting with their kids because that, that's all they want. They don't really care about your time. They just want their kids to play better. So I charge them for that. And then it was up to me how to get there. I put the kids in different rooms because just in your business, you're the expert. The expert doesn't need to spend their time doing non-expert things. Hopefully we'll talk about that too. Um, but what this allowed me to do was double my teaching income without charging the parents more, without spending more time doing it. Because the kids don't need me to unpack their instrument or tune their instrument or warm up. The kids just need me to come in and diagnose, do a little exercise, show them how to do that work. That was the first change that I did. So if you're a lawyer or a coffee shop owner, how can people access your knowledge in a way that doesn't involve you spending more time to reach them? The second change that I made was kids are coming to me and they're saying, hey, uh, we've got some extra money burning a hole in our pocket. Where should we take it? And I would say, oh, gosh, don't give it to me. Take it down and give it to the music store. Um, okay, right. That wasn't exactly how the conversation <laughs> I'm like, went. wait a minute, what? <laughs> I know, right? So what I did is I filled it out. I spent the 15 minutes to get a retail license in my state, called up music distributors, said, I've got a small shop. I want to give my students access to your stuff. Um, how, do, how do I do that? And they say, great, we'll send it right over. So then when a student would come in and say, hey, um, what should we use for an instrument? What should we use for a music stand or music? I would say, come back next week. I'll have one for you. That opened up a retail pipeline that first year, simply filling out the retail license for my state, put an extra 25000 in my pocket. So if you are a coffee shop owner, what equipment allows you to serve your customers because it lasts longer or the maintenance is cheaper or it's better to... Whatever. I mean, I'm not a coffee shop owner, so I don't know. Um, So because as you're teaching your students and teaching them how to run coffee shops the way you do and retain customers the way you do and attract new customers the way you do, they're going to want to know, like, where do you get your beans and where do you get your syrup and where do you get your press? Well, just let them purchase those things through you. Call up the manufacturer. Say, hey, I've got 50 students over here that need new aprons for their cashiers. Is it okay if they buy from you? And you can get an affiliate commission. You can Heck, you can even just send them to Amazon, get an affiliate commission that way. So that was the second thing. How can your students, whether it's being a lawyer or a realtor or a coffee shop owner, how can they buy the equipment they need through you in some fashion? I'm not asking you to warehouse it, but just an affiliate link is, will suffice. The third thing is at that time I was playing weddings for extra money and it, it's a great, it pays great and it's very enjoyable. But I had to limit on my time. If I want to make more money, I got to play more weddings because there's only so much I can do. So I took my time out of the equation. Back to that original statement. The less you work, the more you make. I stopped playing weddings and I started booking weddings. There is no limit to the number of students I can put in a room. There is no limit to the number of weddings I can book for somebody else. And if I'm not warehousing the merchandise personally, there is no limit the number of retail transactions I can make. Those three pipelines, regardless of your business, knowledge without your time, hardware without your time, 
and opportunity without your time, those will allow you to triple your income working half as many hours without raising your prices. It's an amazing opportunity. So talk about thinking at a higher level about solving problems. That was a situation I was in. How do I make more money without working more hours? The solution was actually to work half as many hours and find another way to produce the same amount of results. I love that. I And listener, if you did not write those down, you need to go back and listen to the last 10 or 15 minutes because that is gold right there for you. I'm not going to ask Jared to repeat them because you got them on the podcast. You can go back and pause it. There's this really nifty button called the pause button on the player, and you can actually <laughs> write it down. So we're not going to waste more time going over again. But I will tell you, one of the things I learned a lesson, this is something I should have learned many years ago. I confess, I just learned this about three four months ago. I would do what all coaches do. I would give a free discovery call. And then one day someone sent me a LinkedIn DM and says, why are you giving these calls away? I'm like, well, I'm trying to prove myself and blah, blah, blah. He says, never do something for free. And I was doing a lot of free calls. Once I started, I came up with this concept called a test drive for $25. Now, I know you usually don't pay for a test drive, but once I started charging $25 for a full-on 30-minute coaching session, I got far fewer calls, but the people that showed up were interested, engaged, and they became clients. And mm-hmm. this goes what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm doing all these discovery calls free all day long and nobody became a client. And sometimes they didn't show up or they'd show up late because they didn't care. They had no skin in the game. So I kind of did what you were already talking about, though I hadn't met you yet. So very interesting concept of how you know entrepreneurs, and even if you work for a corporation, you're still an entrepreneur in some part of your heart. How can you make your life easier? And you gave us three pieces of gold. So did you want to say anything about what I just said about my discovery calls before I move on to your next, my next question for you? The statement there is those who pay, pay attention. Yes. I found that out. And when people, when people would DM me and say $25 and that right away tells me if you can't pay $25 for a 30 minute session, now you may have financial realities then I know you're never going to be a client because my regular rate's not 50 bucks an hour. Okay. It's not. And so that's kind of like a qualifier for me. If you can't pay 25, you're not going to pay my regular coaching and that's fine. I'm not for everyone. You may have financial realities, like I said, and you can't pay for it. That's okay. We can still be friends. So the next question I want to ask you, which is probably going to wrap up our, our time together is not doing not being an expert in everything. And I think one of the things I see from other entrepreneurs who you know leave the corporate world and become an entrepreneur is they make a big mistake with you know doing everything. They immediately go out and get a VA or all this other stuff that you can get. And I'm like, well, first of all, you don't have an income. Okay, so how are you going to pay the VA? Second of all, I really believe that before you start getting other people to do your work, even if it's automation, you should pretty much understand what you have to do because if you don't, you are, you're setting yourself up for a problem. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, I, I think there's a lot of arguments to be made there. What I would say is your job as the business owner is to build systems and to build people. Um, if you're not building systems or building people, then that probably means you're the one who's actually doing the work. And if you're doing the work, your business is falling behind. Um, so if you don't have an assistant, that means you are the assistant. Um, and so absolutely what you said, you can't build effective systems if you haven't done the work enough to understand 
um, the, the best way to do it or more sufficient or what's going to be most congruent with your brand. The other side of that coin, though, is that doesn't necessarily mean that you personally are the one who needs to build the system. It just means that you need to value that it gets built. So you could certainly hire somebody else to do it. But at the beginning stage of your business, you probably don't have the resources to do that. Another solution is go ahead and do it, but have your assistant look over your shoulder, have them document the process, have them you know, format it, get back to you with the formatted material or worksheet so you can review it. And that does a lot of things. They got trained without you spending time training them. And two, they are able to demonstrate that they really do understand at a deep level because you just proofread the document and you know right away if they understood what they were looking at while they're watching over your shoulders. That allows you to build systems and relationships without spending more time to do it. And I agree with that. And there's things that when you are the entrepreneur, you have to do. I mean, I am the host of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I think it's interesting. One of the biggest podcasters out there is Joe Rogan. For the first couple of years, a lot of people don't realize is that he's got like the fifth most popular podcast in the world. He did everything, everything. He did everything. He got the guests. He did the editing. He put it up online, did the social media. He did everything. And now he has a team. But if they all left him, he could still do everything that needs to be done for his podcast. So there's certain things like I'm not going to go out and outsource someone to speak for me. I am the speaker. I love speaking. Uh, I eventually, I'm a coach now, but eventually I want to do what you say. I love Brendan Burchard and um, Marie Folio's model where you come up with a course and it's one to many instead of one to one because that you book, you have a client for an hour. That's an hour of your time. But if you create a course, now you can have thousands of people go through the course and, and you can help a thousand people at the time. I really like that model, but you can't really do that out of the gate if you're an unknown. You have to build yourself up to a lot of people. They become a coach and as they build a following, then they start creating courses, which is the natural progression. But you really need to not rush into things. Certainly don't copy other people. You have to figure out where are you? What season of life are you in? What are you good at? Learn it, get good at it. And all of a sudden now you can flip the switch. But I think a lot of people are trying to do everything quickly. And I think that's a recipe for disaster. It is. It is. The, the trap though is I don't have the money to hire somebody. And then the other trap is, Either it's urgent and it has to be done right now, or I don't have the time to train them because by the time I train them, I could have just done it myself. That's one of the traps. Mm -hmm. And the solution there is if you don't have the money to hire them, then partner with them, barter with them, trade with them, consult with them. Um, if you don't have the money to hire them, then don't hire them. Maybe just outsource to them. Like for crying out loud, everybody could afford $20 a week and hire an assistant for two hours, at least start there. And then during that two hours, spend it on your most profitable task, which for most businesses is going to be some version of making it rain. Hmm. That's a good point. I see a lot of people when they start their business, they try to do too much. Okay. So they're not picking a lane. They're, I'm not going to do these nine things. No, just pick one. What are you most passionate about? What are you really good at? Start doing that. And as the income starts coming in, then start adding a line. You don't have to come out with a course and the membership site and the coaching and speaking and consulting all at once. Number one, it's overwhelming and you're going to give up. And I really believe this is very true. I, this is what I tell my clients. Okay. Let's work on one problem 
Because if I give you solutions to 27 problems, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to want to quit. So I really encourage people, and I'd love to know if you agree or disagree with me, that when you create a business, pick one lane, get really good at that, and then start adding. I see a lot of people adding things they they can't even justify they're they're adding other products because they see someone else doing it, but they may not be ready for it. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts there are until one product makes a melon, you're not allowed to add another product. Keep refining that sales process, marketing process, funnel, value, ascension ladder, uh, systems. Keep, keep refining that. After you hit a million in that one product, you can add a second product. $1 million. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Jared. Lots and lots of gold. Uh, folks, you need to listen to this episode again. If you listen to it, like a lot of people do at 1x or 2x speed, um, you might want to go to 1x speed and rewind it and go back to the beginning and listen to it because there's a lot of gold in here. Where can we find out more about you online and what you do? So mindsetperformance.co. Uh, happy to share with you the Nobel nominated mind scan. You can check out your thinking patterns for yourself. See if there's any blind spots that are holding you back or any breakthroughs that are waiting for you. Uh, message me there. Hit me up on the socials, mindsetperformance.co. Jared, thank you so much for being on the Mark Stuchowski podcast. You brought so much value. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com, and sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you would tell two or three of your friends about the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Until we meet again, my friend, you know what to do. Go be productive.